Well, good morning. I don't know what kind of condition you walked through those doors with in just a, a few moments ago, but if you're here and you feel burdened, maybe you feel like you need forgiveness, maybe you've got some guilt or some shame that you feel that needs to be dealt with, Maybe you're just so stressed that it's causing problems in your life and with uh, the most significant relationships around you. Maybe you're full of fear today for one reason or another. Maybe you're just tired of yourself. I don't know. But I do know that freedom is here. And that if you will listen to his voice today, you can know freedom from these things in your life today. You see, freedom is here, and his name is Jesus Christ. Welcome to our series that we're doing in the book of Galatians. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, your iPads, your smartphones, with a Bible app on them, mind you, uh, not just to surf the web. Uh, If you would please take them and turn to Galatians chapter 1 this morning. We are doing our exegetical or our expository walk through the book of Galatians, and uh, today uh, we have come to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to hone in on verses 6 through 9 together. But the key to the whole book of Galatians, I believe, is found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, where it says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, we are to stand firm and do not submit again to whatever yoke of slavery has been upon us. Here, it was a reference to the Mosaic Law, the Old Covenant, and the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. But the goal would be that we would experience freedom. That's what this book is all about. And the freedom is not merely for our own enjoyment and for our own uh, to do whatever we want with. But God has a purpose for the freedom he gives us in Jesus. And that purpose of this freedom is that we would use our freedom as an opportunity, not for the flesh, but that through love we would end up serving one another. This verse is amazing to me. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law, the entire book of, of the law, all 613 commandments, including the 10 commandments, can all be summarized by one word, and it's a verb, and it is the word love. It goes on to say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, dear ones, this is the book of Galatians. This is what we're going to be unpacking in the days and weeks to come. And uh, this morning we have before us a tough, tough section. In fact, I was sitting there just a few moments ago getting ready to come up here after doing this the first service, and I realized I am wrung out. I'm emotionally drained right now. I'm, I'm one of those strange people who has a tendency to pick up the emotions and, and, and uh, the, the things from my environment. So I very much have stepped into the Apostle Paul's heart and mind in this section. I'm one of those people that embarrass my family. You know, we will go to a restaurant, and we're sitting there, and the waiter who's waiting on us may use a southern accent, and all of a sudden I start speaking with a southern accent to them. <laughs> And my family's like, Dad, will you stop that? And I'm like, what? I have no idea I'm doing it. You know, sometimes we go to an Indian restaurant, and the Indian worker is speaking to us, and I'm just talking back as though I'm from India. I don't know why I do that. But I have this tendency to internalize the things that go on around me, and I have spent so much time with this passage this week that I have internalized a lot of the passion of Paul, and I'm exhausted. So 
would you take your Bibles with me this morning? Let's see if we can't get through what Paul has to say uh, to us today. We're going to hone in on the first section of the book of Galatians. It's chapters 1 and 2. This is Paul's personal appeal, and we're going to hone in specifically on the fact that there is only one gospel. Join me as I read through verses 6 through 9 with you. Paul speaking to this handful of churches in southern Turkey in the Roman province of Galatia said this, I am so astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there really is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But... Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. There is only one gospel. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me just ask God for a measure of grace, and then let's tackle these few verses together. Oh, Father, I ask that in the next few minutes that you would take the words of Paul that he expressed so passionately, and that you would allow them to have bearing on our lives 2,000 years later as we sit in this auditorium 2,000 or many thousands of miles away from the place where he wrote it. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God, the one who preserved this book for us to have today, would use it to speak into our worlds today. Please, bless us with your presence and power and wisdom, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You know, Paul speaks in this section here with a great deal of urgency, a great deal of passion. Someone is actually likened this little section here in the book of Galatians to a tornado warning. Think about this with me. Like a tornado warning. When a storm, when a storm clouds begin to gather on the horizon, and all of a sudden a funnel cloud is sighted in the distance, sirens to begin to go off because there is imminent danger of the loss of life. This is no time to take a leisurely walk or to stroll through the park or to have a picnic lunch. When there is a tornado and the warning goes up, the point is, run. Don't walk to the nearest shelter because lives are at stake. And so in a very real way, when the siren goes off, People's very well-beings are in jeopardy. Do not walk to the nearest shelter. Run for your lives. And in a very real way, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is expressing here. You know, this letter, as we begin the book of Galatians, into the meat of it, he doesn't do this like any other letter he's written. All the other letters he writes, he has a habit of beginning with a nice prayer, and he has this wonderful way of of saying, you know, Lord, I'm thankful for these people, or he calls a blessing on people. That's the way all the other writings of the Apostle Paul begin. But this one doesn't. 
cuts right to the chase. There's no prayer, no blessing, no thanksgiving. Rather, there is astonishment in pronouncement of curses because lives are at stake. Eternal lives are at stake. There's no time for niceties. There's no time for pleasantries. Because the very message of the gospel of grace is at stake. And if the message gets muddled or polluted or diluted, eternal destinies hang in the balance. So the apostle Paul cuts right to the chase and he begins with a sense of astonishment. Notice what he says in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul's astonishment. He says, I am absolutely beside myself. I'm absolutely astonished. I am am in a position where I hardly know what to think. I'm amazed. I'm shocked. I'm disappointed. I am offended, is how Paul kind of begins this, that you are so quickly... Now, when Paul did his first missionary journey, he left Antioch in Syria and went across the island of Cyprus and then up into southern Turkey, where he connected with a number of churches in in southern Turkey, the area known as the province of Galatia, as the Romans named it. And and when he did this, uh, he went through this region, and then when he got back, word came to him that things are happening. And this had only been a few months since he had just been with them. And so he goes, I'm astonished. I'm beside myself. I don't know what to think that you are so quickly deserting him. Deserting God, the Father, who has called you in the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel. The Apostle Paul doesn't know what to think. He's upset. He's angry. he's, He's worried. How could you do this? The idea behind the word deserting, and it's a very strong word. It's a military term actually for desertion under fire. It's going uh, AWOL in the midst of battle. And Paul says, I am so astonished at you. Now, Now, think with me for just a minute. The Apostle Paul risked life and limb to take to them the message of the gospel of grace. Literally, literally. We know that when he got into uh, Pamphylia in the southern part of Galatia, there's a good chance that he could have contracted malaria and that that malaria had a huge bearing on his well-being. So they literally went uphill 90 miles into Antioch of Pisidia. And there he had a chance to share the message, but then the Jews rebelled. And so he was running for his life most of the time. And they actually caught up with him in... in, Uh, I was going to say Iconium, but it was actually the next city over. But when they actually caught up with him in Lystra, they stoned him. And they dragged him out of the city as if he were dead. And then he all of a sudden popped back up and went back in. I think he could have died. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. I personally led you into a living relationship with the living God. I risked life and limb to do this. How could you do this? How could you just walk away? And he was taking this very personally. In fact, before he left that region, we know that he purposefully went back through each of the towns that he had proclaimed the gospel and people had responded. And it says this in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. He says, And when they had finished preaching the gospel and they had made many disciples, they, Paul and Barnabas, returned to Lystra 
and to Iconium, and then to Antioch and Pisidia, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and, and saying that through many hardships and tribulations you will enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for each of these churches, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So get this. He risked life and limb to share the message of the gospel. He most likely baptized them. He strengthened them. He encouraged them. He warned them. He prayed for them. He he fasted for them. He committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And he set up leadership over them in each of the churches. And now they were defecting from Christ. He didn't know what to think. How can you do this? Can I just say that Paul cares deeply for each of these people who came to Christ under his ministry. He really, really, really does. And he was dismayed that they were now in this process of defecting. The idea is is to switch allegiance, to give allegiance to a person and a group of people, then take that back and, and go over to the side of the enemy. And here it was, Judaizers, who said, fine, keep your Jesus, but you have to obey Moses. You have to uh, keep the old covenant. You must have the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. So Paul is saying, here I am. I showed you liberty in Jesus by faith alone, and now you want to go back over here under the law. I don't really get this. He was worried for them, individually. But Paul was not simply an evangelist. Paul was not simply a church planter. Paul was an apostle who was given the mission to keep the movement of the gospel spreading to the four corners of the earth. And in his mind, I can just see him now. He had just gone around, he had preached the gospel, he had risked life to see these churches get set up. And now these churches were going away and he's thinking the the movement's going to end before it gets started. We're going to not reach the world. And so while he cared about them individually, he was concerned for the sake of the mission of the gospel around the world. So on every hand, he was absolutely astonished that it had come to this. You know, I believe that even though none of God's true children can fully fall away from his grace, there is no such thing as eternal security for a local congregation that has lost its first love in Jesus. And he was concerned that if they had stepped over to the side of the enemy, that the mission of the gospel would now be stunted and stopped, and that Jesus Christ, as he told the church at Ephesus, would come and take away his witness from them. Revelation 2 says this, to the church in Ephesus, Jesus Christ speaking, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen and repent. Do the works that you did at the very beginning. If not, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Paul was worried for them, but he was also worried for their children. And he was also worried for their neighbors. And he was also worried for the communities that these churches represented. Paul's concern was for the gospel, for the message of the gospel. If it gets corrupted, who can be saved? And so he's overwrought at this point about this situation. So Paul was astonished and he was concerned for the Galatian believers. 
But his astonishment turns to outright anger as he considers the people who were actively calling them away from grace alone and Christ alone. Don't only just notice Paul's astonishment, but I want you to notice uh, Paul's anger. He now becomes livid. Turning to a different gospel? Not that there is another one, but there are some of you who trouble you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. This is those Judaizers. They wanted to add the law, the old covenant, and circumcision to this guy called Jesus. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be, and what's the word? Yeah. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel different than the one you have received, let him be. Yeah. Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, who loved this letter, Galatians, to the point he referred to it by his wife's name, my Catherine, said this about Paul's words here. He said, here Paul is breathing fire. His zeal is so fervent that he almost begins to curse the angels themselves. And so the word, let them be accursed, is, is the word anathema. To be cursed, to be, be cursed before God. Uh, the idea is to be damned. In our modern language is people who would distort the gospel of grace, let them go to hell, is his words here, frankly. And we say, wow, that's awful, Paul. How could you say such things? But if you stop and think about it, you see, by distorting the message of salvation as the Judaizers were doing, what they were doing is they were damning to hell the very people who, who they were seeking to make their own converts. And so in a very real way, Paul is merely wishing them to have the same consequences as the people that they convert to their message. You be damned. Because that's exactly what your message is doing to everyone that you convert to what you're saying. They are being damned. You know, we think these words are really harsh. These are really not terribly loving. Paul, you know, the highest Christian virtue is love, isn't it? Yeah, Paul, what's going on here, man? But you know, he's merely mimicking the words of Jesus. Jesus said almost the same thing. In Matthew 23, verse 15, Jesus said this, Woe to you. Now, the word woe to you is a pronouncement of judgment. So here's Jesus pronouncing judgment on the experts in the law and you Pharisees. You are hypocrites. Why? Because you will cross land and sea to make one convert to your religion. And when you get one, what you end up doing is you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. This is strong, strong language. But in a very real way, the Apostle Paul was the caretaker of the message of Christ. He was responsible, as it had been committed to him, to make sure that the true message of salvation didn't get perverted, that it get, didn't get diluted, that it didn't get distorted. Because a polluted, distorted, diluted message cannot save anyone. And so he's being very, very forthright here. Paul is incensed. So, in effect, what he is doing here in these verses is he's saying this. I am going to draw a line in the sand. 
on this side of the line is the message of salvation given to me by God alone. The only message that has the ability to give true life, true eternal life. It is the message of God's grace. This is the message of salvation. This is my message, and if anybody else comes along and changes this message, let them be damned. So this is his message. And what he is saying is, over that line, over here, every other means, every other good idea, every other way is wrong. And the result is people end up in a Christless eternity apart from God. And you say, but but people can be so sincere. It can be so sincere. Doesn't that count? Doesn't that matter? I mean, they're zealous, just as Paul was zealous. They're passionate, just like Paul was passionate. Come on. It can't all be wrong. Ever heard a little ditty called uh, Little Jimmy Brown? There's a little statement many years ago I picked up. It goes something like this. Poor Jimmy Brown is no more. For what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. You see, what he thought was water in odorless uh, uh, liquid, nice and clear, was actually H2SO4, sulfuric acid. Poor Jimmy Brown is no more. But he was sincere. He was sincerely wrong. And you can be sincerely wrong. And Paul is making it abundantly clear. There is only one true message, and it is the message that I have already given to you. Any other message is sincerely wrong. That's strong language. I mean, it doesn't get any more exacting than that. And yet that's exactly what Paul is putting forward. There is only one one gospel message. There is only one, one way of salvation. You see, friends, there is only one gospel. And the Apostle Paul has already claimed exclusivity over it. In fact, he told the church in Galatia uh, these very words, I did not receive it, the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. He personally revealed it to me, and I give it to you. There is only one way to be right with God. And so the question goes begging, what is that way? What was Paul's message? What is it you told them, Paul? What, what is it that they understood, Paul? What is it that they heard, Paul? If all of it boils down to this true message, then what is that message? I love God. <laughs> I love the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit not only preserved for us this thing called the Book of Galatians, Paul's writing to a, church, a group of churches in southern uh, Turkey, But he also recorded and saved for us one of the messages that Paul preached on that first missionary journey. And in that message Paul preached is the clarity of the true message of salvation. 
So in the next few minutes, I want us to unpack together the message Paul preached in Antioch of Pisidia. It is the message he claimed was the exclusive message of salvation given to him by none other than God himself. And so let's see if we can't discover exactly what that message is. There is only one gospel. Here we go. Now, I'm going to need your assistance as I'm going through this, but we'll try to uh, understand exactly what Paul's message was. So here in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 23, we have this section of his proclamation, his preaching at this synagogue. And so let me read the top part, and then I'm going to need your assistance so we can understand what Paul's trying to say here. Here we go. And so they, Paul and Barnabas, came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, Saturday, the day of worship for the Jews, they went into the Jewish synagogue and they sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, Paul and Barnabas, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Sick them to a bulldog. Paul's M.O. was he would walk into synagogues as a former rabbi, and he would be known as somebody from far away, even Jerusalem, having said at the feet of a Gamaliel, hey, come on up here and, and, and encourage the brothers. Okay. So Paul stood up, and he motioned with his hand. I like that. And he motioned with his hand. And he said, men of Israel, you who fear God. Now, in the next few minutes, there are a number of pronouns used, and each of those pronouns is directly linked to the name God. So rather than saying he all the time, I want you to say, when I point to you, God. Just so we can get the sense of emphasis that he's putting out here. So let's give this a go. I'm going to point, and you're going to say, God. That was good. Real good. Okay, one more time. Okay, as I point to you, let me read the words that Paul proclaimed that day uh, to one of the churches that he is writing to now. And so here we go. So Paul stood up and he motioned with his hand saying, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with uplifted arm led them out of it. And for about 40 years put up with them in the wilderness. I like that. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, Gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And then had removed him. Raised up David to be their king, of whom testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as promised. Now let me ask you a question. If you were sitting there listening to the Apostle Paul preach, what would you assume about what he is saying? His message that he proclaims given to him by none other than God. His message is all of God. The message of salvation that Paul proclaimed is literally all of God. Every single bit of the message of salvation, in fact, the act and the work of salvation is all God. 
goes on to say this in Psalm 3, in verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is His. It is His work. It is His effort. It is all of God. In fact, somebody put it this way, and I thought it it works quite well. Uh, God the Father thought it the plan of salvation. God the Son brought it. And God the Holy Spirit wrought it in our lives. So that means it is all of God from beginning to end. It is God's plan, it is Jesus' provision, and it's the Holy Spirit's power that makes salvation possible. God takes the initiative, not only in providing a perfect sacrifice for our sins in His Son, Jesus Christ, but also in pursuing us and wooing us to pry open our sin-closed minds with his truth. And then ultimately, God takes the defibrillator paddles and he puts them on our, our spirit and he defibrillates our dead hearts and gives us new life. It is all of God. Paul's message, which he received from God, is this. It is all of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It is him. It is his message. It is his work. It is ultimately him who does all of this thing called saving a soul forever. In fact, Jesus made this admission in John chapter 6 and verse 44. He said, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. In fact, just a moment ago, we talked about the fact that Paul said this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. God called them in grace of Christ. Paul says of himself in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, But when he, who had set me apart before I was even born, and he called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. From beginning to the very end, Paul's message of the gospel is that it is of God and God alone. It is all of God. And that is why the true gospel that Paul proclaims is often referred to as by grace alone. By grace alone. It is purely out of the heart and the mind of God. It is completely by the mercy and love of God. He chose to pursue us to be his children rather than justly condemn us as his enemies from his presence for all eternity. It is all of God. It is all a gift. It is all of grace. It is unmerited, unearned, and undeserved. It is all of God. This is the true message that redeems a soul ultimately. There's other parts to it. We're getting to that. But the true message of salvation is by grace alone. Notice, God, 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 God. It must have something to do with, yeah. In fact, it's all of God. This is the true message that Paul was given, that he proclaimed, and that he said any deviation, anything other, is not part of the true message that I have received uh, from Christ or God the Father himself. So, okay, this is the first part. And by the way, because it's all of God and thus by grace, this is good news. This is good news. I mean, the word gospel literally means good news. Ooh, good news. And it's this, God took pity on us 
And he pursues us in love to have relationship with him. That's good stuff. It doesn't get much nicer than that, does it? This is part of the message. Now, let's go on to consider uh, the next section of the message that Paul proclaimed to the church at Antioch of Pisidia, the very message that he said that they initially embraced that saved them, that they were in danger of giving up. It begins that it's all of God in by grace alone. But secondly, he goes on to say this, there is only one gospel. And what makes it so unique is this, that not only is it all of God, but, dear ones, it is all about Jesus. The content of the message that Paul proclaimed was none other than Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to need your help again, just so you can see the sense of emphasis he gives as he's preaching. So we have the name Jesus here, and then him, 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 okay? And so when I point at you this time, rather than saying God, you're going to say Jesus, so we can get a sense of the flurry of his name that he used. So, uh, you can do it stronger than that. Hallelujah. Jesus. All right, here we go. So let me read this, and then I will point to you and ask you to fill in his name as we move along. So God gave a Savior, as he promised. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which they read every single Sabbath, fulfilled by condemning. And though they found in no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of, they took down from the tree and laid in a tomb. But God raised from the dead and for many days, appeared to those who had come up with from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his, Jesus' witnesses. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm doing my best here. To the people. And we bring you the good news that when God, the God had promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Do you see his message? It is all of God. God, 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 God. It was his plan. He knew what he was doing. He worked it out through the history of Israel, often in spite of them and not because of them, to bring Jesus on the scene. And once Jesus came on the scene, he was the content of God's promised salvation, not only to the Jewish nation, but to the entire world. And so here, repeatedly, the Apostle Paul uses Jesus' name, constantly reaffirming the fact that there is no other name under heaven uh, given among men by which you must be saved. And that name is? For God so loved the world that he gave that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is all about yes. Yes, he is salvation. His name means Savior. And so the reality is this. The Bible says, he who has the Son has eternal life. Why? Because Jesus is eternal life. 
But he who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. Why? Because Jesus is eternal life. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is Paul's message. It's not about Jesus and keeping the law of Moses and being circumcised and keeping the Ten Commandments and trying to be as good as you can be and trying to own up and live up and do... No! It's all about Jesus. He is the focal point of the Apostle Paul's message. In fact, Paul said at the opening to the book here of Galatians, he said this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father who later raised him from the dead. It's all about If you get nothing else here today, if you get nothing else here today, any message that comes to you that is about more than Jesus and Jesus alone is a false gospel. It simply is. It simply is. Now, Paul, being a good preacher... And uh, going around, oh, wait a minute, let me finish this part up. Uh, So it's all about Jesus. And so when we talk about the true message of the gospel of salvation given uh, to Paul by God, uh, not only is it uh, by grace alone, it is in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Again, this is good news. Jesus took my punishment on the cross and purchased my complete freedom and forgiveness. And all God's people said, I am not going to do anything. He did it all. It's all about, yeah, yes, this is the message, the message of salvation that Paul proclaimed. And so he finishes, as any good preacher would, (laughs) by calling people to respond. You see, there is only one gospel. It is by grace alone, in Christ alone, and now he calls people to believe in this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He's positioning Jesus against Moses here. But notice what he says. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should become true about you. Look, you scoffers, Be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe, even if somebody had told you. You see, Paul is preaching to persuade them. And he makes an appeal for them to believe. To believe. The message of the gospel of grace always demands a response. When Jesus Christ is evidently sent forth as having been crucified for you, you've got to do something with that. You just can't walk out and say, oh, that was a nice message, Pastor. What do you mean it was a nice message? We talked about some guy being tortured. You can't just walk away saying, that was nice. Good job. No. You've got to do something with him. You can't just say that was nice. And so Paul basically says there's two kinds of responses you you can give to this message of God's grace found alone in Jesus Christ alone. And one is you can scoff. You can mock the whole idea. You can jeer that's just too easy. You can ridicule that God would judge good people. 
You could just poo-poo the message and say, ha, so what? Can I be frank with you? Say yes. Okay, I'm going to be. If you scoff, mock, jeer, ridicule, or poo-poo, you will perish. That's what it says. So you say, there's no neutral ground in all of this. There's either this message of grace, or there isn't. You can't stand on the line of the sand. It doesn't work that way, okay? One way or the other. And so one way to respond is scoffers. And the other way is to believe. Is to believe. To put faith, to put trust, to wrap the arms of your heart around Jesus Christ. It is God who calls And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So again, it is all of God. But we merely respond to what God is saying to us, and what Christ has already done for us. And what we do is we step into that with faith. We step into that with trust. We step into that, and we own it. And we embrace Jesus, and we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking everything that was my debt of sin on yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That is the response of the heart to this message. Faith and repentance. Repentance and faith. It's all of Jesus. He saves us not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. It's all about Jesus. And the response to this message is to simply embrace Christ with your heart, your mind, your soul. I wrote just a couple of thoughts this morning as I was getting ready to come. Just simple thoughts. Salvation is not a prayer you pray. No. Salvation is a person you love. His name is Salvation is not truths that you simply grasp. Indeed, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Those are facts. Those are true. But embracing those facts as true is not what saves you. Our faith is not in the facts. Our faith is in the one of whom the facts are true. His name is? That's it. He is a suitable Savior for the soul because he died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It's Jesus that frees us. It is him and him alone. Salvation is not some religious exercises we do. It is a person we trust and we walk with in a relationship. It's Jesus. So let's just summarize the message of the gospel of grace. Um, Quite frankly, it is not of us. 
And it is through faith alone. Through faith alone. So, the true message of salvation is through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. That's it. That's what Paul proclaimed, and that's what Paul said he received from God, and any other message will not rescue you from eternal destruction. It is all of God. It is all about Jesus. And it's not of us. That way God gets the glory. And he cares deeply about his glory. Let me just finish uh, with somebody summarizing in uh, their own unique style. Take just two minutes and listen to this presentation of the gospel. The gospel is that there is this infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful creator God who created all things for his glory. And you and I have belittled that, belittled his name, belittled his glory. Every one of us have at one time or another, or actually currently, believed that our way is better than God's. We fail to acknowledge, give him glory for the gifts he's given us. We question his rule and his authority, while at the same time doing that with the brain he gave us and holds together, and the lungs and the air that he gave us to breathe with. This is the great blasphemy of the universe. So we've all belittled God, and God being just right and holy is not going to allow the belittlement of his name. God then, not being able to spare wrath, sends Christ in the flesh and crushes him. And in so doing, pours out his wrath against the children of God onto the Son, killing him. Then God raises him from the dead. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in those who believe. This is the gospel. That you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skill, not by whether or not we cuss or don't cuss, drink or don't drink, watch this, don't watch this, do this, don't do that, justified before God by the cross of Christ alone. Your lust you're not going to be able to fix it. Your bitterness, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your rage, anger, those deviances that have been following you around, you don't possess the power of life and death. You can't resurrect anything. Christ came. That's the good news. That's why we don't celebrate us. That's why we continually celebrate Him. We boast in the cross and the cross alone, the same power is at work in raising Christ from the dead, is at work in me and work in all who believe. This is the gospel. Believe on the Lord Christ and you will be eternally rescued, delivered, set free from sin, from shame, from the penalty of your sins, and be given a new name and a home forever as a child of the living God, all by the work of God alone. Our part is to step into that and to embrace Jesus.
and Jesus alone. Let me just conclude with a few thoughts of application. Do you get grace? Do you get grace? Because if you get grace, you get grace. If you don't get grace, you don't get grace. This is the message. It is a message of God's grace. His undeserved, unearned favor that comes to you. Apart from your efforts, apart from your works, apart from how good you can be, apart from how much cleanup you can do of your life. It's all about Jesus. Do you get grace? Have you embraced Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Uh, When we're done in just a minute, I'm going to just remain down here. If you would like to come and say, hey, Pastor Bill, can I talk with you a little bit more about this thing called eternal life and salvation and Jesus and how all this works? I want Jesus. I'd love to do that with you. But for those of us here who have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to encourage you, please, learn the one and only gospel of grace and share it. (laughs) Share it. It is why you're here. If God wanted perfect kids, we would be taken to heaven the moment we trusted Jesus. But he doesn't need perfect kids right now. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. He wants the movement to go forward. He's called us to be his ambassadors. It's we who are plan A, and there's no plan B. Do you know the message? I'm going to leave down here a bunch of these little booklets. They're called Good News for You. It's a simple study so that you can understand with clarity this thing called the message of God's grace. There's a whole bunch here. I'll put them out for you to come get. But please don't leave here today without a tool in your hand to understand fully what the message of the gospel of grace is. Do you get grace? I'd love to talk with you. Learn the one and only gospel of grace and be prepared to share it. And then lastly, and I gave you this last week, and I hope you'll you'll take this and use this and do this. Plan to come weekly. If you can't, I get it, vacations, the whole summer thing's happening. All of these messages will be online. But I want to encourage you to be praying about who you're going to be bringing with you. Bring at least one unchurched friend with you to this series so they can hear how to have freedom in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. I'll ask the band to close us. Uh, Father, thank you. Uh, again, that you and your grace and wisdom have reached forward into time and, 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 and touched our lives. You sent Jesus Christ to, to take the full payment for our sins. You love us. You pursue us. You want us. But we can only come to you one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me.